Welcome to Why Though. We're your hosts, Tiffany Bloom and Ashley Abercrombie. We land somewhere in between Mother Teresa and Biggie Smalls, and we're just wondering, why though? We all have questions, from our existential crisis curiosities to our, hey girl, why your eyebrows look so good though? And we want to tackle all of those questions with you. Welcome back to Why Though. We are thrilled to have you joining us for our Surviving Summer series. I hope that you guys have been loving it. I know it's been awesome to have some rich conversations and summertime is such a pivotal, weird time because you're sort of slowing down, but also you're not really slowing down at all. But it is like a sweet break and more pockets to reflect and think and to be with your people and to, you know, be home and hopefully a little bit more um, chill and laid back than you might be in your, your normal, you know, fall, winter, spring life. (laughs) You want to know what's crazy, Ashley? In the summer, you're totally right. I have so much more time to reflect, but I don't have a lot of time to execute. So I end up kind of vision casting in the summer. Like, okay, Mm. here's what I want this next year to look like. Here's what I want to do, even though I can't execute right now because I have two little humans who keep asking for all my time, attention, and money. But it's still, <laughs> I still, but you're right. We have this time to really like, wait, where am I? What's happening? Who is this? What do I want? You know? Yeah. It's good. That's I love good. that. Yeah, I definitely am not doing any vision casting in the summertime. That's impossible. Again, no execution. <laughs> at home. Just vision. No, no. <laughs> no vision, no execution also outside of my job. So, Yeah. <laughs> Oh my gosh. I remember like being young and having no kids and being like, I can dream about what this year is going to look like. And now I'm like, if I get five minutes to myself, that is the last thing I want to do is like, think about what my life could be in the future, which is why I'm very excited about our guest today (laughs) who does do a whole lot of that kind of work. And she also is a dear friend of mine and someone that I love dearly. And I could not, out of all the guests that we've had on our show, I could not be more excited to introduce you to Chanel Dokun. And she just wrote this incredible book. But before we tell you about that, we want to tell you about who she is. She's a certified life planner and she's a relationship expert trained in marriage and family therapy. Her husband is also a psychiatrist. She's based in Atlanta, but they work in New York City as well. She is a mother. She is the most incredible writer. Also, she's built a massive business and has um, a business called Women of Consequence and has just done all these remarkable things and written for the New York Times, for Real Simple, for Woman's Day, for Essence, for Christianity Today. Like she is such a remarkable woman. And the first time I met Chanel, I want to tell you about this before we get into um, introducing her. I was a month into New York with my 18 month old kiddo and trying to figure out what my life was. (laughs) And I attended a justice conference that Chanel was hosting in New York. And that's how we initially connected. And I just loved her spirit and her heart. And she was so warm and so hospitable and so welcoming. And there was just something about her that was like, I am gonna be in your life. I'm gonna force myself on you. And this is how it's gonna go down. (laughs) And I'm really glad that we got to stay friends. Um, Chanel, you are remarkable. And her book, which she's going to tell you about today, you guys need it in your life. I want to read to you what Publishers Weekly said about it. Dokun's humor and cheerful tone spruce things up. You have been gifted with a special set of skills, not unlike Liam Neeson and Taken. Readers will be heartened by this affirming volume. She is amazing. Chanel, can you please say hello to the community that we love? Hey, everybody. I What a warm welcome. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> you deserve it. You deserve it. We'll give you all your flowers while you can get them. 
<laughs> oh, it's so good to be here. And I have to say, it's funny that um, you say that's how we first met at that justice conference and you were trying to wedge your way into my life, but I was also secretly trying to wedge my way into yours. So I feel like we both <laughs> oh, nailed I it. <laughs> Okay, I like what I'm hearing is women of intention. So we're just going to stop and celebrate that. Listen, you already taken notes, listeners. There's so much to learn here. So much to learn. Stock people. Go for what you want. I think that's the lesson. It's so true. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. Your book, Life Starts Now, is so remarkable. And I like the way you split it up into like drowning at the very beginning where you're figuring out like all these women who are... Um, in the women you work with in your life planning practice and all the different things that you do, like so many of them are successful and remarkable and outside looking in, you'd be like, oh, these are the best humans. And then inside they're drowning. And you write mm-hmm. so much about what that looks like. What What is this journey to return to yourself? What is this journey to become who you really are? What is this journey to be the person that you feel called to be? And so how did that happen in your life? Like, how did you get to this place where you want to teach other people yeah. how to find what they're here on earth to do and not what they think they're here to do, but what they actually want to do in their soul. Yeah. So for me, it goes way back to my mom, right? Mm -hmm. I have this really strong memory from my childhood. My mom used to take me to bookstores as a treat when I was a little girl. (laughs) And if I did well in school, it was like you get to go buy a book, right? Which is a sneaky way to get your kid to keep reading. (laughs) And um, she's a ninja that way. I love it. And so she um, had me do that. And I remember standing in a bookstore with her and she paused and she kind of said, Chanel, you know, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I was so excited by seeing all these books. And so I was like, I want to be an author. Like, I want to be a writer just like Terry McMillan, which you all know. (laughs) If you know Terry McMillan, that is a way inappropriate author for an (laughs) eight-year-old to want to mimic. (laughs) But I was here for it. So so I was into that. And she just smiled at me. And then her eyes kind of started to glaze over. Mm -hmm. And... Moms, especially, you've all had that moment (laughs) where you're like with your kid and then you're not. And I yanked on the little hem of her dress and I was like, Mom, you know, where'd you go? Mm. And she goes, that is so great, honey, that you want, you know, to be a writer, that you know what you want to do. And she's like, I never knew what I wanted to do. And then she paused and she said, no one ever asked me. Mm. I just kept raising kids because she was the oldest. This is something you should know about my mom. She was Mm -hmm. the oldest of 12 kids. So she ended up raising her siblings. Her mom was a single mom. Her grandmother was a single woman as well. She helped raise her siblings and then she had three kids of her own and we're all 10 years apart. So Mm -hmm. she said, I just kept raising kids and I thought eventually I'd get my chance. Eventually someone would ask me, I would get a chance to figure it out for myself. And that time never came. And my mom, you know, she passed away 10 years ago. Um, And I think her life was amazing. So I'll say Mm -hmm. that I think she was a woman of consequence and a woman of amazing purpose. But the heartbreak that I saw in her eyes of not knowing who she was and what she was about and not being able to take control of her own life, Mm -hmm. that has sat with me. So when you say, like, what has prompted me, it's that idea that like you know my mom she had a partner she raised kids she had a job she was able to keep a roof over our heads and do a lot of good things but internally she felt like she was drowning and she felt lost and disconnected from herself 
And I thought, I don't want any woman to ever feel that way. Yeah. So that's what drives me. Wow. That's so powerful. Thank yes. you for sharing that. I hold that in such high regard and just speaking so beautifully of your mother and being able to also pinpoint like where this spark started. And here you are all of these decades later, not only living that for yourself, but inviting other people into their own liberation. Mm, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So what, where did this specific book idea come from? I, I'm like, is it from your practice? Is it from um, just your own journey in the past couple of years? Like, when did you realize not only do I want to be an author when I grow up, but what I do matters and I want to go on beyond my practice and beyond the people I read on social media um, to write. I'm curious how this all came together. Yeah, I think I was sick of hearing um, just like the cultural noise that was pushing people to want to strive after success, right? Like we live right. in this um, filtered life and we live in the space of like, you know, everybody has to show their highlights and everything's working and it looks good. And then I had this conflict because I was, you know, practicing as a therapist and practicing as a life planner where I was taking women through this two-day process, I still do that, but taking them through this process to uncover what their life purpose is. And they were behind the scenes just experiencing that feeling, just like Ashley was pointing out, of like that drowning and that feeling lost and that feeling of disconnection. And they were so unhappy and right. they felt like they couldn't tell anyone. It was like this dirty secret of, I'm unhappy in the middle of a good life. Right. And oh, wow. So they felt like they had to keep up this charade all the time. And I'm this person who, if and one thing about me is I just tell it like it is. Like, that's my problem is I just say the thing. And so I realized, I was like, I'm just going to say it. Like, you're miserable. You're miserable <laughs> and so am I. Can we all just acknowledge <laughs> that we're all unhappy? Right? <laughs> So that like if we can call out the problem, maybe we can actually start to fix it. But the longer we pretend that everything's working, you know, the longer we're going to be stuck here. So really, that was the drive was taking this very private, intimate work that I was doing in session behind closed doors with real women and saying, how could I bring this process out into the open and also share a different message in our culture to say, like, Look, we can all just say we're drowning. We want to have right. the courage to be nobody. Right. <laughs> we want to like let go and start living more meaningful lives. And so that's where it came from. Wow. So you already know that 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 phrase like struck me the first time I heard you say it, the courage to be a nobody. And you walk through in your book this like the power of daily liturgies and just kind of getting like head and heart knowledge aligned, like what's happening in your head and what's happening in your heart, like blending those two things together. And then you talk about the courage to be a nobody um, and what that really means. And then one of the things I'm so fascinated by is you talking about dissociative liturgies that are repetitive activities that train us to cognitively live outside our actual lives. So you explained in your book that people need the power of daily liturgies to keep them present in their lives, but that we also have these disassociated liturgies that run all the time that keep us outside of our actual life. Mm. Like, I want you to talk about Ooh, that yeah. because I think that is so normal. I love this quote from your book where you're talking about one of one of your clients and you said Rachel wanted to optimize her life, but she so rarely spent time in it. And I was yeah. so struck by that. So talk about those two things. 
Yeah, so we do, we rarely spend time in our own lives. I mean, if you think about it, we spend the majority of our days responding to emails, you know, texting other people, we're looking on social media, getting lost in the scroll, we're watching TV, and all of these things, they're not like they're terrible, right? I'm not against technology, it's just that all of these things woo our heart to long for a moment or an experience that's not the one that we're actually living. And so it's so easy for, you know, I think about when reality TV first like became a thing. And do you remember how odd it was at first where we were like, why am I watching these other people's lives? Like, how weird is that? That I'm sitting there. The real world was so good though. Real world, that's like, (laughs) yeah. Oh my gosh, literally was thinking, but the real world, you guys, but the real world. Anyway, but she has a point, yep. As I wear my real world sweatshirt, that's fine. Yes, but no, the real world, it was the jam when it was was like the one show, right? So for the most part, you're like, it felt like this interesting little, you know, voyeuristic moment. But then you would, you know, you'd pop back into your own life and keep it moving. Mm-hmm. Now everything is the real world, right? Or the false world, right? right. Yeah. Um, and so we just kind of get pulled out of our experience all the time. And I think that the scary thing about that is there's the explicit messages that we receive, right? The things that are, oh, wow, look, she's like, you know, on vacation and she's killing it. She's living her best life. And I'm jealous of that. And I wish I had, you know, that bag that she's wearing or whatever. There's those kind of explicit moments of wooing you to another lifestyle. But then there's just like the the uh, training that's happening simply by the habit. Because you're telling yourself, hey, you know what? Whatever you're doing, wherever you're sitting right now, that's not where you need to be. That's right. not where the action is. That's not what is really important. What's important is someplace else. So we're just training ourselves to exist in this like alternate space, mm-hmm. <laughs> like this middle space. Like we're not we're not actually with our friend on vacation, but we're not sitting, you know, on our sofa either. So we live in this weird kind of middle space that I think is really um, unhealthy. And so and then when we later say, I feel dis- disconnected from myself. Yeah. I feel like I don't know who I am. Well, duh, <laughs> right? Like, <laughs> of course, of course you don't. Of course you don't, because how much time have you actually spent in your life? And you know, right. I don't say you; I say me. I do the same thing all the time. Can you dig more down into that daily liturgy to help fight that? Because that is so powerful. And I know everyone was hearing you and being like, "Oh, she knows my mail. She knows my number. <laughs> she knows yep. I'm living in the in between space." And think of how like genuinely yucky we feel. When we've scrolled, it's either a, you know, beach vacation, a GoFundMe and everything in between. And it's like you said, we're like, we're not there, but we're not all here. That, that, that meta middle, (laughs) that meta middle, that's like not healthy at all in any way, shape or form. So I'd love to hear more about that daily liturgy. And, um, just as Ashley mentioned earlier, earlier, that heart and head knowledge at work. Yeah. So we desperately need moments where we're able to re-embody our own lives, right? And for me, I think that that takes practice because it's it's not something that comes naturally to me anymore. And so I have, I just on a very practical level, I have a practice that I call my Reclaim the Morning practice. And mm. it is a daily routine of waking up and spending the first part of my day in my own voice and just trying to go like, who are you? <laughs> like, what do right. you actually want? What are you about? 
what are you concerned about in this moment? Like, what are your anxieties and your hopes and desires and all of that? Just to like hear my own voice as the loudest one in my life before I then get pulled into all those like liturgies that take me into other spaces. So I do think that, you know, that's my encouragement for everyone is to find some space. Of course, you can do the Reclaim the Morning practice. And, you know, if you want to follow me or whatever, I there's I talk about it all the time. (laughs) So you'll hear Mm -hmm. me saying it. But find some space in your life where you can intentionally say, I'm going to be present. I'm going to like actually be mindful to my current existence. Mm. It's so good. I feel like. You know what really drove me into this concept deeper? I mean, my husband started becoming a low-key monk. That was the first thing. And he just got, <laughs> he did a deep dive into contemplative practices. So I, I learned a lot watching him and his prayer habits and praying the hours and, you know, all the different things. And that was really beautiful. But I actually think motherhood is what threw me into it. And I know mm. motherhood is not for everyone. I, I know many women who don't even want to be a mother. And so you have other things in your life that are repetitious mm-hmm. enough mm-hmm. and monotonous enough that sort of push you to your knees. But for me, it yeah. was motherhood. And I think it was realizing, gosh, I I can either go through my life perpetually disappointed at my days or feeling like, you know, um, maybe this is not what I thought it would be. Working as a mother is harder than I thought it would be. Like you can go through your whole life, I think, just hating everything or you can lean into the ordinary where it's like, actually, this is my best work and this is the life that I chose and these are the things that I prayed for. And so I think one of the things that your book does really in a helpful way is help people understand like what are the things you actually wanted and how do you love them? And then what are the things that in this process of reflection and care for yourself and loving yourself and being present to yourself, what does that look like? Like what things need to go now in light of that? And I think that's so important because there, there are those things in life, like motherhood was really hard to lean into and it is really hard to lean into sometimes, but it also was very clarifying for me. (laughs) It's like, these things need to go now. (laughs) And these things that I thought were really great and super fulfilling aren't actually what I thought they'd be cracked up to be. So I think that's a really beautiful thing that you do is help people understand like, what, what do you actually want out of life? And then how do you go after it? But in order to get it, you have to let some stuff go. Yeah. And it's crazy. We do spend so much of our lives. You know, I, one of the um, activities that I do with clients is I'll help them audit their time and look mm. at just what are you pursuing, right? And what are, your, what are the ambitions of your life? And time and time again, I see that we just spend so much time pursuing stuff that we don't even want, right? right. Like this actually isn't fulfilling for me, but I'm just so caught on this like track Right. to do this particular thing or that's what all my friends are doing or yeah. that's what I heard, you know, that's the family script that I'm trying to follow or right. whatever it may be. And so you're right. I think things like motherhood, it's any sort of um, kind of uh, refining experience like right. that. Motherhood is just like, it's a pressure cooker. Right. And I think some yeah. people go into other, you know, they have a job that feels like a pressure cooker where it demands a lot of them yeah. or they end up being caregivers in other ways and their time is stretched. And I think those moments are valuable if we let right. them <laughs> be valuable yeah. where they give us an opportunity to go like, okay, all this stuff that I've just been uh, doing because I thought I was supposed to do, mm-hmm. uh-uh, no more. Like, I right. can't keep that up. It takes way too much energy for me to try to maintain 
you know, a life that is not the one that I want. Right. Doggone. That's the doggone Mm. truth right there. That's Uh, it. It is. When do you feel like women have this breaking point in realizing Mm. like that? Wait, I am miserable. Like where I'm just so curious because I feel like we all have mini ones, maybe major ones, hopefully more than one. I'm sure we all do. I've had more than Um, one. Yeah. I'm like like, (laughs) once a month at this point. Um, I'm so curious of like to go from drowning to getting your head above water. Where do you feel like that breaking point is? That point of like, I don't want this. I don't have to follow this. I like how you called it the script. Like, I don't have to follow this family script or even just a script that I set for myself 10, 15, 20 years ago that no longer serves me. And I'm miserable in it. And I'm not, I'm ignoring even the good things in my life because I can't be honest with myself. I'm curious where that breaking point kind of happens. Yeah. I feel like there's two major crisis points that I find with clients one is for some reason I have a lot of clients who come to me when they're 29. Mm, <laughs> it's this interesting like sense. you're about to hit 30 and I think that's because we all have some idea of what 30 was supposed to look like mm-hmm. and so it's this questioning of oh my goodness like is is this actually all that there is like am I going right. to stay on this track I feel like I need to do something right but that space is that's its own kind of crisis point. And that's more of, a, I'm still trying to kind of fulfill my original desires. So we have a particular kind of work there where I really see the uh, kind of crisis that you're talking about, Tiffany, of like, oh, I've been drowning and no more, I can't do it. That really happens closer to 40, yeah. where I feel like you've achieved some measure of success and you're like, it's not enough. It's yeah. just not. Yeah. And I'm not going to continue pretending like it's enough because it's taking too much out of me to have to keep up this charade. So I feel like it's around 40 that people start to um, start to miss and kind of long for their own voice again. Yeah. And they want to bring it back. (laughs) So they start to root things out that are kind of drowning out their voice. Yep. I certainly experienced that, you know, turning um, 40 in a pandemic and then figuring Mm -hmm. out like, you know, all my life I'd been, um, wanting to be in publishing and wanting to write books and do all these things. And I still think I have some books in me, but I was like, not like this. Like, this is Mm -hmm. not what I signed up for. This is not how I want to be. I I want to write. I signed up to be a writer. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I do not want to be on the road traveling and speaking at women's conferences where they're passing out pom-poms and I have to be on a hype squad for the whole conference. You know, I'm like, Mm -hmm. I don't want, this is not what church is to me. This is not what publishing is to me. Like, I don't want to do this. And I think like having to make that really hard choice and in some ways COVID forced my hand into a pivot because, you know, speaking engagements were gone or they were rescheduled for two years out or they went digital and you were making $5 to do something dumb or they were like, hey, you you can make money if you sell tickets for our conference. I'm like, are you serious? I have to write a message, preach a message, figure out how to video edit it, send it to you. And now I need to sell tickets. Are you for real? So it was like this is a hot mess. And I know everyone was trying to survive, but it was the typical thing where the people at the top with the most money and the most um, platform and connections were doing successful things and being successful and using the rest of us to build that. And I was like, this feels gross and I'm out, Mm -hmm. you know? And I think that that was a really important moment in my life, but also just like death of a a thing I'd wanted to do since I was a kid, where you're like, you're gonna Mm -hmm. have to hang it up for a while. Like I have to just let this book thing die 
because it's going to die whether I want it to or not. Like, because mm. that's, the, the, that's the trajectory the whole thing's on. <laughs> you know? yeah. So I think there is this very clarifying moment in your late 30s. You're right. You do have a great measure of success. And you really do have, like, some solid networking friendships and a good sense of your identity. And I think for me, it became very, very much easier um, that was very bad grammar, but it became easier for me to be like, you know what, this is not it. I don't, I don't know what is it, but this is not it. And I think I sent you many voice memos and text messages. So like, if you guys need a life planner and a coach and a freaking therapist, like y'all should sign up with Chanel because Ooh, yeah. <laughs> she is a, a freaking wealth of wisdom and, and is not judgmental. Cause I think that's what we really need in those sweet spots. I don't know if you guys need that. I do of like, you know, rethinking your whole life you need a safe non-judgmental place and I also really needed people who weren't going to push me like well look at all the success that you've had you're so close to this that or the other thing why don't you do this that you know it's like I didn't need that I needed like a soft place where nobody would judge me if I if I just had to say I'm tapping out and that's the best thing for my mental health and that's the best thing for my family and that is the best thing for for me and I need to tap out, you know, and I feel like you're you're so good at being that soft place to land where people um, are not going to experience judgment, but a true sense of like clarifying what you want. And it's beautiful. Yeah, rant I think over. women. <laughs> no, no. Good <laughs> rant. I was like, keep going, <laughs> because I think all the things that you're saying, I mean, you're speaking specifically to your experience, but I think we've all felt that in some way. Right. Where yeah. you've started to succeed, you've started to um you know, achieve something along a certain path that seemed like it made sense. Right. And then you're just like, no, this isn't what it's cracked up to be. Or I feel like I deviated from the plan or now in order to do this thing, I'm caught up in some other story and that's, that's not what I'm about. Yes. And it's okay to, I think, admit that it's not working for you. And I think that judgment piece, um, I just want to like call that out because I feel like that is the the space and maybe that's the therapist in me is like, you know, holding a safe space for people. But truly, I think women in particular, we spend so much time beating ourselves up and second guessing what we think. And I call it like the sacred pause of just women like are always editing themselves. (laughs) Right. So true. So whenever I'm working with them, I just give the extra beat. I'm like, just, you know, okay, that's your idea. Pause. Just let's, let's just wait a minute and let you get past that space where you're trying to hold back. Because usually what you'll hear is they go, but you know, this is what I really want. And like, it starts to come out. And I think that if we could do that, if we could give that gift to ourselves actually of pausing on the judgment a little bit and just saying, if I wasn't so worried about what other people would say or what they would think or what impact this might have or how I'll be perceived, what is actually true of me? Right. <laughs> and then if you can start operating in that truth, actually the solutions are, they're not easy, but they're clearer right. uh, than, we, than we make them out to be. Right. I think there's also just, I love that you're saying it, we're redefining our purpose here. We're, I think so many of us in this world of girl boss and mompreneurs are like, <laughs> if I'm not successful, I'm such a failure. If I'm not this, I'm then, then I'm that. And I don't want to be... 
I don't want to be that, you know, the, mm-hmm. going back to what you said about perception. So I think this idea of like, actually, you have every right to redefine your purpose. You have every right to examine what's working and what's not. And I think that uh, because we ha- feel like such a duty to take care of everybody else or wherever that duty may come from, this idea of being gentle with ourselves when there's change, just like we would be gentle with others. Yeah. But this idea that we can't offer that to ourselves, we can't right. offer that olive branch of like, hey, hey, it's okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think that because we do want to be women of impact, we do want to be women of con- consequence. Yeah. And we're thinking, well, if I, didn't, if I couldn't kill it here, what makes me think I could kill it there? So I think mm-hmm. that's where I get into these like self-limiting beliefs. Um, and, and it's really not helpful because as you said, like the cream's going to rise to the top when you start pulling back them layers. Sorry to use two food analogies in one. It just felt right. <laughs> it felt right. So it's I very on brand. It. I'm here for it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Always thinking about my next meal. Uh, but but you know what I'm saying? Like, it, it is, I think the fear of failure can can rob us of even being willing to be honest with ourselves. Yes. And can I go on a brief girl boss rant for a yes. second here? Go for it. It is welcome um, here. Always. <laughs> because I think that that is actually one of the most uh, detrimental things that I'm seeing happening with my clients. I mean, especially even coming out of the pandemic, which is wild. We all have gone through like two and a half years of pure trauma. Right. And we were like, what? You didn't start a business out of that? What's wrong yeah. with you? Right? right. Which is ridiculous. Um, but we as women, I think we've gone on this very interesting journey when it comes to our relationship with work and the impact that we're meant to have out in the world. And I think so much of that started because, you know, I can't give you the full history of women in work, but just to say that, you know, originally women were kind of kept out of the workspace, right? Right. And it was like, okay, your, your life is in the domestic space and there's nothing wrong with the domestic space. It's great. The problem was just the limitation of that. That's all that you have to offer. And we are more, you know, dynamic and interesting than that. And so it was this limitation that had been placed on our life. Slowly that started to open up and thank goodness women were able to move into the workplace more and more. We have more of a voice. We're able to take on more positions of authority. It's still wildly broken and messed up, but we are able to work and have impact. And now we've done this very crazy pendulum swing where we've started to mimic the way that men actually have operated, where we start to find so much of our identity and our purpose and our whole meaning for existence is in what we can produce in the workspace, right? right? And so we've done this weird pendulum swing from the domestic to the professional space. And I think that we lost ourselves somewhere in there because the the real message was, I am bigger. I am all of these things, right? Mm-hmm. I can work and have impact out in the world. I can also have impact in a smaller life with my family and all the ordinariness of that. I can you know, be a force in my relationships. I also can just take care of myself really well and just be faithful to who God called me to be. Like, There's all these different parts of who we are. Yeah. And I think that girl boss narrative, at least that I find so many of my clients are just drowning under is this pressure of like, I have to kill it in the workspace. If I'm not Mm -hmm. building a million dollar business, there's something wrong with me. If I don't have a job that's getting me written up in every different magazine, there's something wrong with me. And that kind of hustle harder culture and that effort is wrong too. So I just, I always feel the need to like say that, (laughs) like that's not the answer either. Mm -hmm. 
Because when I tell a lot of people that I help women figure out their life purpose, they go, oh, great. You help them figure out what their job should be. Right. And I'm like, no, no. Pause. (laughs) Right. Mm -hmm. That's not what we're talking about. Yeah. Um, We're actually talking about something much bigger than that. Yes. Gosh. Oh, you're so brilliant, girl. Oh, man. And we didn't even get to unpack so much of what's in here. Um, One of the things I love um, as we're wrapping up that I want you guys to go read is that she has these two chapters about um, the zone of genius and what it means to hit the hum. Like when you just are in your zone and then she goes through the the types of things that keep you out of your zone and then she helps you find your flickers of genius. Like what are these talents that you've been given that you're just really great at and how to figure out how that could work in your normal everyday life. And she also talks about how to activate your heart. I mean, there's just so many beautiful things, um, how to go from fear to excitement. And I really loved that chapter, Chanel. And in fact, at work, I was doing um, a presentation and I reached out to one of my coworkers. I was like, I'm so, I'm nervous about this. And she's like, oh my gosh, one of my favorite things to do is to turn fear into excitement. Did you know that it's the same adrenaline rush? So all you have to do is tell yourself that you're excited and then it's going to be awesome. It it didn't work that simple for me, but I thought your book teased it out a bit in a way that was really beautiful. And I thank you for your time and your effort and energy to go through this process yourself and to be honest about your life first and make decisions for your family and then teach other people how to do it. And you are just a wonderful human being. And we are so lucky to have you on our show. (laughs) And be sure, (laughs) yes, be sure to pick up Chanel's book, Life Starts Now. And I just want to say... Y'all been thinking about starting a book club. It's post-COVID, well, endemic, not not so much pandemic. Right. And you're and you're ready to like put yourself out there and get to know people deeper and have stimulating conversations. And I think this is the perfect book for book club. So I encourage you grab it and and get a few girlfriends together. Everybody get the book and go through it um, as a squad and learn together, grow yeah. together, sharpen each other. I can only imagine the incredible conversations that are going to come out of this book over a glass of wine and some charcuterie. So get it, get it, get it, get it again. Thank you, Chanel so much for coming. So enriching and lightning and um, can't wait for our listeners to continually learn more from you. You can find her on Instagram. Obviously we'll have her book linked in the show notes and it will not be the last uh, you'll be hearing from her. I can guarantee that. Correct. Mm -hmm. (laughs) We love you, Chanel. And we love you, Wabbit listeners. See you (laughs) next week, Wabbit. Bye. Bye. Hey, listeners. Remember to subscribe and comment. It helps others to find the show. To learn more about Tiffany's writing, speaking, or books, visit TiffanyBloom.com. To learn more about Ashley's writing, speaking, or books, visit AshAbercrombie.org. See you next week.